The Story of Gunbutter. Episode 9. A Great Man, a Lake, and a Boat. So, how did I come to hear about the incredible story of Gunbutter? Well, if you're still struggling to believe his story, telling you my story about how I heard his may not help. Let's just say I met him in the capital shortly after the passage of Mongolia's maritime law. I, I filmed an interview with him in his office at the Ministry of Agriculture. It wasn't the dusty little cubbyhole I described in part six. Um, it was far less palatial than Professor Dalai's overflowing office at the university where I'd filmed the day before. Gambatar's current office was spacious enough, but spartan. It had a computer. I filmed him, tapping in some Cyrillic characters with two fingers for some introductory footage. I couldn't work out how to prevent the screen flickering in my camera viewfinder, something to do with different hertz and phases in the local power supply. There was only one item decorating his office walls, which I used for the interview background. It was a poster of a wolf. A couple of days after that, Gambatar and I took a flight together to the town by the lake in the north. It was his first trip home in years. As we came into land, he pointed out the lake, and as we descended, the pier. We could make out the distinctive profile of the Sukhbatar, the only boat in Mongolia, alongside a couple of barges. I didn't mention the barges, did I? Well, to be fair, I, I did mention she was a tug. To tell the truth, I was a bit distracted at the time, as by now we were getting lower and lower, and there was still no sign of any runway or airport building. Then, we simply landed. On the grass. We trundled to a halt. When we jumped down from the plane, the only thing that suggested this was an airstrip was a row of waiting jeeps and horses, ready to convey the passengers to wherever we were going. Over the next few days, I filmed Mongolia's only deep-sea navigator inspecting the only boat in Mongolia. We went on a brief lake cruise with some South Korean professors. I got to know the Sukhbatar 7 smartly uniformed crew as I filmed their daily lives. At Gambatar's suggestion, for the rap party, I invited the sailors and their families to a real Mongolian barbecue. They lit a fire, butchered the half-lamb I'd bought, heated some stones in the embers, then placed meat and stones in a milk churn to stew. While it cooked, we drank beer and vodka. Someone had brought along a portable tape player, and we all danced around the fire to the sound of that summer's hit, a disco song about Chinggis Khan. Then, by the lake, beneath the mountains, as dusk gathered, I filmed the sailors singing one of the lake shanties they'd written about their tug, the Sukhbatar. You may remember the lyrics from part two. We're masters of the Sukhbatar. We're masters of the blue roads. Crossing the blue waters, steering our mighty vessel. 
If you're finding all this hard to swallow, by all means search online for The Mongolian Navy, All at Sea. It's on the Litmus Films YouTube channel, and even if I say so myself, remains the definitive oeuvre on Mongolian naval history. I've heard much has changed since I filmed it in 2000. Foreign visitors expect a beautiful lake like that to have pleasure vessels for hire. The Sukhbatar is no longer the only boat in Mongolia, though it does remain its only tug. Gambatar and my visit coincided with the big summer festival, Nadam. Mongolians gather to watch six-year-olds race horses bareback over 50 miles, archery competitions and wrestling tournaments. Gambatar disappeared during the festival, though. He said something about a trip to the mountains with some friends. When the day of our return flight to the capital came, Gambatar was there, though. He carried the little leather briefcase that was all he'd brought with him and which he'd taken with him on his travels on the high seas. At the area of grassland that constituted the airstrip, we found a group of people revving up their jeeps and pulling the girths on their horses. Apparently, there'd been a last-minute change. The plane wasn't going to land here today, but instead at another place a couple of hours' drive away. When they wrote it down, it spelled moron, though actually it was pronounced morun. By this time, I'd been in Mongolia long enough to accept this news with the same cheerful indifference everyone else displayed. We set off across the grassland in an informal convoy of jeeps and horses. I was squeezed into a back seat next to Gambatar. As we bounced and jiggled our way towards Moron, Morun, I signed language to Gambatar, asking if he'd had a good time with his friends in the mountains. Gambatar smiled broadly and pantomimed shooting a rifle. He then clicked open his little leather briefcase and showed me what lay on top of his spare set of clothes. Next to the wolf's paw he'd taken with him the first time he'd left the lake was a fresh one, still crusty with dried blood. One, acquired many years ago as a young man yet to make his mark, had accompanied him and his dreams around the world and across the seas. The other, just acquired as a national hero, Mongolia's only qualified deep-sea navigator and architect of his country's first maritime law, he seemed to treasure as much as the Order of Chinggis Khan medal it lay beside in his little leather briefcase. Pause for thought. In episode 10, Coming Clean, we'll try one last time to separate fact from fiction as we make a final effort to sort out the true bits of the story of Gambatar from the fibs. The series was written, narrated and produced by Sternwriter. Audio production by Samuel Wynne. The Truth Lies in Bedtime Stories is a see-through news production. See Through News is a not-for-profit social media network with the goal of speeding up carbon drawdown by helping the inactive become active. For more, visit seethroughnews.org. Thank you for listening.